As we get into this message tonight, I'm so overwhelmed by God's presence, so overwhelmed with what he's doing across our nation. And as I was praying tonight, the word that kept coming to my mind, and you may not understand it at first, but the word that kept coming to my mind was intermission that we are in an intermission. When you go to a Broadway play, it takes forever to get through the first part of the play. Sometimes it's drudgery. It's just drudging through the plot of the play. And you finally get to intermission and you're dry and you're thirsty and you're hungry and you're tired and you're worn out. And some people just get up and they leave during the intermission of the play. And God says, some of you are in that intermission in your life. The first part of your life has been so hard. It's been just drudging through, just plowing through to get to what is going on. And you're tired and you're weary and you want to give up. But if you realize that the second part of the play is when the grand finale comes. It's when the, it's when the good overcomes the evil. It's, when the, it's, it's just the, the party that takes place. And he says, you're in the intermission, but if you will hang on, if you won't give in, just get ready for what he has for you. Just get ready. And that's what I want to talk to you about, because I want to say to you, it's not over. It ain't over. If you're from the South, it ain't over. And I want you to know that it's not over in your life, that God's got something so much more for you. See, I want you to realize That no matter what you've walked through, no matter what you've been through, just like Pat mentioned, the book that I'm writing, Dehydrated, no matter what you've gone through, God has got a refreshing for you. And it's not just about you. It's about the ones that you are called to minister to, the ones that you are called to rescue, and you will survive. What you survive is a good indication of who you were called to. And so I want to talk to you about it's not over. This message is for those who have lost hope who have lost hope and who want to give in. See, the, it's time for the remnant to rise. The remnant consists of those who feel like failures, the fatherless, the forgotten, and the freedom fighters whose pedigree is that of a scarred savior. That is what the remnant is, and that's what this weekend is about. It's about rising up to become the remnant, to stand up for what others won't stand up for. It's to stand up for truth, to stand up in church and say, I don't care what church as normal has looked like in the past. I am going to stand up for what I know is right, for what I feel in my spirit, for what God has showed me, for what the word of the God says. I am not going to conform to the culture around me. That is what the remnant is all about. But I want to tell you that recently during worship, God spoke to me and he said during worship, he said, Karen, I've not changed. I've not changed. Nothing about me has ever changed. I've been the same today, yesterday, and forever. You're the one who's changed. You're the one who's changed in how you respond to me. You're the one who's changed in how you view me and how you view my power and my authority and my might. You're the one who's changed. See, last night we found out that he is more than enough. God said to you, am I not enough? And we responded with, yes, you are. But tonight he says, okay, if I'm enough, then it's not over. It's time for you to get up and get going and get on with what I've called you to do. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing that takes God by surprise. There's nothing in your life that catches him off guard. You see, we wake up sometimes in the morning and we get a bill in the mail or when something happens, our child is sick. And we're like, really, God? And God says, that didn't shock me. 
I've got everything under control. It shocks us because we've forgotten the power that he holds. That's what's happened in our life. We are the ones who have changed. We need to come back to the realization that he is all that we need, that he's not done with you, that he's not done writing your story. It's time for the remnant to get to a place where we wake up, we stand up, and we grow up, and we rise up to the challenge that he has for us. That's what it's time for. See, I feel that I have to share a word straight from the heart of God. Is that okay with you tonight? I feel like I have to share with you something that's burning so deep inside that if I don't get it out, that it's just, I'll just explode. Because God says, time is running out, but it's not over. You see, there's a time where you have to stand up with boldness and be brave. See, there's a time in our generation where bravery is being thrown out the door. But there's time where we have to stand up and say, I am brave because I am surviving. I'm not just surviving, I'm overcoming. God has a purpose for your life. See, there's something so powerful about getting to that place. In Revelation, Jesus says that I have found your deeds incomplete. Revelations 3, 2 says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, fan it into flame, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold fast and repent, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what time that I will come to you. See, it's time to fan into flame those things that have died. There are those in here, the ones who have lost hope, the ones who think it's over, the ones whose family's falling apart, the ones whose finances are falling apart. And God says, am I not enough to take you to the next level? Am I not enough to get you across the river? Have I not parted the sea in your life? Have I not took you there before? See, if God never did anything else in my life, he's done enough. If God never does another miracle in my life, he's done more than I ever deserved. When he saved me, he washed away the pain. He washed away the past, and he gave me the ability to keep going. He is my strength. He is everything I need. In other words, he's saying, I'm not done yet. It's not over. See, I believe that all of creation is groaning right now. I believe with everything that's going on in our nation, with the earthquakes and the tsunamis and the, the, the housing problems and all of the different things, the tornadoes, the economic crisis, everything that's happening in the Middle East with ISIS and terror attacks where you're afraid to even go to the grocery store, you're afraid to go send your kids to school. I believe with all of that, there is a groaning that is taking place across the world. See, God's saying, I'm in control. I'm not done with America. I'm not done with the world. I'm going to raise up a remnant that's going to stand up and declare what truth is. I'm going to raise up a remnant that's holding up the flag that says, we have the victory. Nothing can conquer us. Nothing can overtake us. That's the remnant that God is looking for. But there's so many people that say, where is God? Where is God when all these things are happening? Where is God when, when all the things are happening across the world? See, there's a push in our nation to make God obsolete, to make people forget about God. It's being taught in our schools, being taught at work. I mean, we see it every day, people being attacked. People in America, things you never thought you would see, people in America being attacked because they believe in God, because they believe in marriage between a man and a woman, because they believe that God created us the way he created us for a reason, that we stand for truth, and now we're being attacked for it. 
We listen to the media and the pundits and, and all the different things, Lord, as, as they spread terror and even spread falsehoods about God. They say that there's no such thing as sin, that it's what makes me feel good that matters, that it's what I feel the truth is. My truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth. They say that God accepts all lifestyles, declaring that we, if we stand up for truth, that we're now committing hate crimes. See, there is an attack, an all-out attack on God and our nation. But you know whose fault is? It's the fault of the sleeping church. That's the fault that is in our nation. God has given us the ability to stand up. He's given America the ability to stand up. But people say that God's given up on America or that somehow God owes us something. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. But others just mock him. They think he's just their Santa Claus or a Buddha that they can rub his belly for good luck. He's not my good luck charm. See, I don't believe in luck. I believe in the power of the resurrected Savior. I believe that the same power that rose him from the dead can heal, can deliver, that can set free, that can take the drug addict and wipe their system clean of drugs, that can take the prostitute and get her off the street and show her that he is the only one that she needs. I believe in a healing Savior. Proverbs 14.34 says, God devotion makes the country strong. But God avoidance leaves people weak. It leaves family weak. It leaves nations weak. When we avoid God, when we try to push God down, when we go out in public and we try to be cor correct in every way, when we try to be politically correct, we don't want to offend anybody. Why? He is my only one true God. I don't have to tell everybody, well, it, every, all these different ways lead to Christ. No, there is but one way that leads to Christ. There is one God that can heal. There is one God who can wipe away the sins of my life. And that is the only God. See, I wonder if God ever gets sick and tired of being told everything that he's not. I wonder if God gets so sick and tired of how we represent him sometimes. I love Malachi 2.17 says, you make God tired with all your talk. How do we tire him out, you say? How do you tire him out? God loves sinners and sin alike is what we say. God loves all. And also by saying judgment, God's too nice to judge. No. God's a good father, and a good father disciplines his children. A good father takes them in and teaches them right from wrong. A, God, a good father is not afraid to tell you the truth. This says, son, that says, daughter, you're living in sin. This way leads to death. Let me show you the way to life. That's a good father. See, this is the hour where we must rise up with power and authority and declare it's not over. For all those who feel that you're at your end, for all those of you feel that there's nowhere else to turn, for all those who feel that time is running out, that feel that you're forgotten or misplaced or that you've been relegated to the back of the room because of everything that you've walked through, that you don't deserve to be up front worshiping, can I tell you it's not over? Can I tell you that no matter what you've walked through, God still says, I can use you, I can change you, I can transform you, that I'm not done with you. I've not finished writing the scrolls of your life. I'm in the middle of writing a chapter. You may have messed up. I may have to rip out a page, but I'm not done writing. I may have to go another route. I may have to figure out a different plot, but there's an ending to this story, and it says you win if you walk with me. See, God says, I'm not done with you. It's not over until he says it's over. 
See, this is just the beginning. It's just the beginning of your story. I get so ticked off at seeing the body of Christ act as if God gave up his power to defeat Satan. I get so sick and tired of hearing churches say, well, God just doesn't move the way he used to. No, you don't respond the way you used to. You don't listen to the way that God wants you to respond. But it's not over. Write this down. See, we need God to wake us up tonight. The awesome awakening of you. See, we want God to awaken our nation. We want God to awaken our political people. We want God to awaken our president. We want God to awaken our governors and our senators and all of those people. Can I tell you, God wants to awaken you. He wants to awaken you first. I feel like there's a stirring and awakening in this room. I felt it tonight. The, the presence of God is here and he's ready to do something. Can I tell you the altar is open if at any time that you want to come forward because this message is a message to call you to repentance, to call you to a place of change, to call you to a place of deliverance, to set your feet running in the direction that God has you to run. See, almost like the sound of of feet hitting the floor in the morning time. See, I wake up in the morning sometimes and I can hear an army marching. That's what I hear because I hear a remnant rising up, linking arms together and saying, we are taking back what the enemy has stolen. And there is strength in numbers. There is strength. See, I feel that God is saying it's your moment to realize that he's not done with you. See, how many of you woke up praying in the spirit before? I have literally woke up. I know my husband has woke up and praying in the spirit before, or I've been woke up in the middle of the night to hearing him pray in the spirit in his sleep. He's actually preached messages in his sleep. And I'm like, I'm saved already. Okay, just go to sleep. (laughs) But how many of you have woke up praying in the spirit with such an urgency in your spirit, with such a, such a burden on your heart. Can I tell you that is God and sending his angels to repair your armor as you sleep, to repair you, to get you ready for battle, to get you ready, not because woe is me, I'm going to have to go into battle. No, get ready. You're going into battle and you're going to take the land. That's what, see, we look at battle so wrongly. We look at battle as if that's a bad thing. No, it means we're conquering. We're conquering and taking land. That's what God's calling us to do. See, I I hate it because I go so many places and I hear people say, well, I'm just losing the battle. I'm just losing this battle. I'm losing the war. Well, maybe it's because we've got so many spiritual streakers running around without their armor on. We've got so many people walking around. They lay down their helmet of salvation. They lay down their shield of faith. They stop believing what God can do. They put, the, put down and take off their, their running around streakers because they don't have the belt buckle of truth, knowing what they believe, knowing who they believe in. They've laid down the sword of the spirit and just got used to church comfortably and normal without the presence of God. See, it's time to fit your feet with readiness so that you can run into the battle and conquer the way God has called you to. That's called revival. Do you want to know what revival is? Revival begins in churches when families begin to go into their prayer closets. When families, it begins in the home. It begins with families. It begins with dads taking over and being the leader of their home. It begins with mom praying over her children. It begins with devotions and time and prayer. See, I love it. We're in the middle of a fast. 
But how many of you can say that this is the only time that you fast and pray throughout the year? See, it's fasting and praying is not about just coming together to say that we're doing. Fasting and praying is coming together and saying, I want to know him. I want more of him. I can't live without him. I'm going to press in until I reach him. I'm going to press in until I feel his presence. And if that takes all year long, then that's what I'll do. It's not about just something to say I'm part of something. It's about feeling his presence. See, it's in those secret encounters that God brings you out for public display. It's in those secret moments. But we have to come to that place. There's nothing more powerful than when God's people begin to stretch out of their slumber and realize that they can accomplish anything, that you can call your families back to him, stirring the flame which once burned so brightly back into fire. Into a, see, so many times in churches we have become so comfortable around our cozy little fire, putting on our blankets. We just want to sing kumbaya all the time. But God says, I never called you to be comfortable. I called you to come around a roaring fire that will burn up anything in my presence that doesn't belong. That's the kind of fire that I want. Ephesians 5.1 says, wake up from your sleep. Watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And then he says, love like that. God knows when you're weary. He's calling you to his presence tonight. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, are you tired, worn out, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Learn to live with me and it will become second nature in your life. Learn to walk with me. Get up in the morning and pray. Get up in the morning and seek my face. And it will become second nature when the enemy comes knocking, when the enemy comes attacking your family. It will become second nature to reach your hands up into the air and call on his name. God wants all of you, but some of you are weary, and it's a struggle. Your day started out in a war this morning. It was a war just to get here tonight. For some of you, it was a struggle just to get up the energy to get here. But your miracle is already waiting on you. You see, as you were warring, as you were walking through your battle, as you were walking through your circumstances, God was up here and he was preparing a table before you. And he was saying, if they can just get here, if they'll just fight through, if they'll just push through everything that we're walking through, then I've got a a feast prepared for them. I've got everything they need. He wants your life to be full of freedom and joy and purpose. But some of you need to hear the words tonight that he's walking by, that he's walking by here tonight. What would you do if Jesus walked by here tonight? Can I tell you that he has heard your wordless prayers? Can I tell you that he's heard those deep sighs of exhaustion? You know what I'm talking about when you have no words to explain what you're going through. Romans 8, 26 26 says, meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. 
He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs. Our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. Knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. You know what I'm talking about? Those moments when you get a report from the doctor. Those moments when someone comes in and says, I don't love you anymore. Those moments when your child, you get a call that they're at the jail, that you need to come bail them out. You know what I'm talking about? When you find out your child's been in a party getting drunk or that your daughter may be pregnant, or you know those calls. And you get down, and all you can do is weep. All you can do is cry. All you can do is moan, and you're bent over, and you have no words. God says, I understand that language. I understand what you're going through. I know those sounds. I know what you face. And he says, but let me give you a little secret. It's not over. It's not over until I say it's over. You see, God says, I can take what the enemy meant to destroy, and I can turn it around and kick the devil in the face with it, because I can turn it around and say, but they survived. Not only did they survive, but they rescued others in the process. He said, it's not over. I love stories about triumph. I, Abby and I love going to the movies and seeing triumphant movies, and movies where the good guys always win. I love it. I love the story of Bethany Hamilton who lost her arm to a shark attack because after it was all over, here's what she said. God did have something bigger planned for me. What we need to do is trust and believe. If I can help others find hope in God, then that is worth losing my arm for. I love stories. We just recently saw a movie, Unbroken, about a war hero and an and a Olympian. And, you know, through all the triumph, he said, God, if you get me through this, if you get me out of this, I will give my heart to you. I will serve you. And he made it through being stranded in the middle of the ocean for 47 days, captured by Japanese, you know, in the war and everything. And he gave his heart to God. Because God says, okay, you're going to call me out. You're going to say, if I get you out of this, well, here you go. It's all it takes is one snap of a finger. God says, but I don't need your empty promises. All I really want is your heart. All I really want is for you to look up and realize that I am your savior. I am your lover of your soul. I am the one who can reach down and bring joy into your life, bring peace into your life, bring hope into your life. I just want to spend time with you. That's what God wants. But can I tell you, I love stories of overcoming because let me tell you about my son who was raised and who grew up and we didn't even know that he had a spinal disease. We didn't even know until he was in high school, but he had lived with back discomfort and back pain his whole life and no one knew what was wrong. He kept it to himself and we found out that he had a disease that would eventually have crippled him and he was playing football. And we realized that we needed to take him to the doctor and he had to make a decision. And the doctor said he could play if he wanted to, but he may end up in a wheelchair. And he had to make a decision. It was his dream. It was his lifetime dream to play football. It's all he had ever thought about. It was all he ever dreamed about since he was 10 years old was to play football. And here his spine was starting to curve forward and cripple him over. But can I tell you, he did have surgery, and Pat spoke about that last night, and it was the scariest thing. You want to talk about faith? You let one of your children face death. 
You want to talk about faith and realize whether or not what you believe is really what you believe? Then try to go through a situation where you have no control. I'm a control freak. I like to be in control of everything. I have my plan, my day planned out, detailed. Every little detail of my life is planned out. Pat and I get up in the morning. We're like, what's your goals and plans for the day? Every single morning, and we always have a plan. But there was no control in that moment. I had no control. And he went into surgery, and it was a success, and they were able to correct his spine, cut him all the way, filleted him all the way down his back. And the recovery was long and hard, and he's still recovering. But he's straight. His back is straight. But can I tell you what real faith is? Can I tell you when God says it's not over, it's not over? It's the moment he's laying in a hospital room on so many drugs for pain, on so many things. And he's laying in there in the middle of the night crying for his father to come into the room and speak life over him. And he looks at the foot of his bed and he sees Jesus standing at the foot of his bed. And he says, I'm here. It's not over. I'm not finished with you. That's what true faith is because God said what the enemy meant to destroy you with what the enemy meant to send you into despair and discouragement and cause you to go plummeting down into a low place God says I mean for it to raise you up to open your eyes so that you can see me in my entirety that's what trials and tribulation are for see it's not what you go through that matters it's who you who goes through it and who you turn to when you're in it That's what matters. I love triumph. But God has a massive plan for you. He has such a massive plan. He didn't fall asleep at the wheel. Philippians 1.6 says, There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep it and bring it to flourishing finish on the very day that Christ Jesus appears. I get it. I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. I know I have a long way to go. But here's the deal. I know it's a journey, and I'm not willing to quit. I'm not willing to give up. I'm willing to see the end result. I want to see the finish line. I don't want to give up. He told me to come and tell you it's not over. He said to say, it's not over. God hasn't given up on you. Then why do you keep giving up on him? Why do you keep quitting on him when he never once has given up on you? Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Do you know what his joy set before him was? It was you. It was you and me. It was all that we would face. We were the joy set before him, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Too many times we fix our eyes on our circumstances and everything that we're going through and our problems and we cry out, woe is me, woe is everything I'm going through, woe is me, I'm having my pity party, I'm having all these little pity parties. But God says, stop looking around, stop looking through the microscope, start looking through the telescope into the bigger picture. He says, look up, hold your head high, don't give in. See, I love it. I love that my husband has wrote this book about the remnant because the remnant chooses to let go of past hurts in order to experience the freedom that comes with forgiving and moving forward. See, when doubt screams it's over, hold on. Look at Psalms 94, 18. It says, I cried out. 
I'm slipping, but your unfailing love, O oh Lord, supported me. When doubt filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Can I share with you a scripture today? Because this scripture that I want to share with you frustrates me so bad. You see, it frustrates me because it's so... I'm a very impatient person. I know most people wouldn't know that, but I am extremely impatient. I don't pray for patience because that requires testing for patience and, and everything. And so I just skip the whole thing and say, I'm just not patient. I just admit my flaws. But my patience get tested in this scripture. See, I've learned despite all my whining and griping and complaining and all my murmuring and all the things that, that I say under my breath and all the different things, God's still in control. He hasn't quit. He hasn't let go of the wheel. See, I'm not that patient of a person, but God is. He waits so long for you to turn to him. He waits so long for you to give in to him. See, look at Mark 5, 21. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. And while he was by the lake, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. I love that because we, in our crisis moments, we cry. He's the first one we cry out to. But when nothing's going on, we don't do anything. We just have our own party. We just, we don't even invite him to the party of our success. But in those moments, we cry out, my daughter is dying. Please come. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. But instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him and he turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? Don't you know he knew who touched him? Don't you know he already knew that this woman, don't you know he already knew she had been bleeding, that she had been hemorrhaging for 12 years, that she would be in the crowd, but she reached out. What he was really saying was, who in this crowd had faith to pull on my anointing? Who in this crowd had faith enough to pull, to draw on my anointing? It wasn't for her that he said that. It was to prove to everyone else what true faith was. You see, Jesus is at the shore. He was multitasking. I love that because I'm a multitasker. I have to be doing a million things at one time. He was multitasking. He's ministering to the people, doing what he does. And the crowd became a mob around him. They were pushing on him and shoving him. But she touched him. Suddenly... This is where it gets frustrating because suddenly a man of prominence came alongside him, Jairus, who was a religious ruler. See, probably, suddenly this man, probably up to this point, didn't even like Jesus. He was a religious ruler. He understood etiquette. He knew everything about being proper. But this, something in his life had changed at this moment. His little sweetheart, his little girl, his relief from the pull of the world, his escape from reality, his pride and joy, his little princess was now sick. 
See, there's something that takes place in you when you lose control. Just like that day in that hospital when I had no control for my son, I'm going to cry out to Jesus. But there's something about when you're laying in a hospital with your daughter on an inhaler, on a ventilator, when she can't breathe, that you know who to call out to in that moment. When you know who to call and say, breathe life into my sweetheart. Breathe life into her lungs. See, on his shoulders was the weight of the world. Little girls have the power to bring grown men down to the place of being a tea party guest or to being a dance partner, be the prince at the ball. I know because we could be at home. Pat could come in from a trip of traveling for two weeks straight, tired from an all-day flight, walk in the door, and his little girl can sit there, and she says, I want to have a tea party, and he will drop his bags, drop everything he's doing, and go up and have a tea party. Or she can say, Daddy, dance with me, and he'll drop everything and reach out and pick her up and dance with her. Little girls have the ability to make time stand still. But now she was in trouble. When he left the house, her fever was spiking. She was pale. The color had left her face. Her breathing was shallow. He suddenly had faith now. He suddenly believed now. He wasn't just going through the religious motions. He wasn't just doing his three songs in a poem. He wasn't just now doing everything that he had been taught to do. See, he was willing to do anything to save his little girl. See, it's crazy how most days we don't give Jesus the time of day, but when we're in a crisis, he's the first one that we call on. It's amazing to me how on Sundays we come in and we're like, Jesus, we praise you. And then we go home and say, see you next week. God says, I am an everyday God. It's time that we stop having a visitation. We cry out for visitations from God. And he says, I don't want a visitation. I want a habitation with you, where I go home with you, where you build me a chamber, where you say, I abide here. I live here. I walk with him. I eat with him. I talk with him. That's what God wants. He runs to Jesus and he grabs Jesus and says, help me. Help me, my daughter is sick. But suddenly, in the middle of his pleading, there's a woman in the crowd. And she touches him. And the crowd interrupted this man's miracle. And everyone says, it's over. We only had a little bit of time. There's no time left. A small window of opportunity for a healing. As if God lives in our time zone. As if God has a quota of how many times he can heal. Or how many times he can set people free. Or who he can do it for. See, God says, I have a plan. There is, this is where it gets really interesting because it's where we find out what we really believe. It finds how, how deep our roots go, how deep that fountain is in our life. Can you celebrate God's power and his authority and his healing in someone else's life and their miracle while you're waiting for your own? God says, I can do it for them and I can do it for you. But sometimes we need to see other people get set free to build our faith. To build our faith that if he can do it for them, he can do it for us. Maybe your miracle got lost somewhere in the crowd. Just when you think it's your time, someone cuts in line. Someone cuts in front of you. Mark 5.25 says, and a woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. When she heard about Jesus, that's the key, because I want to tell you, we said earlier, Jesus is walking by. When she heard about Jesus, she crawled through the crowd. She got on her hands and knees, and she fought through the crowd to get to him. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. 
And he turned and he said, who was it? See, I believe Jesus was trying to show something to the, the, the religious ruler that this is what faith is about, that this is what I'm trying to get across to you, that it's the faith of someone who's willing to get on their knees, get a little dirty, get a little filthy, get in the trenches with you and fight with you. This is what it's about. It's not about going through a routine. It's not going through a, a preset prayer. It's saying, God, I need you and I need you in my life. That's what it's about. But here was a man who was desperate, and he was thinking to himself, is it really that easy to get Jesus off his game? Is it really that easy to get Jesus distracted that he doesn't see me, that he doesn't see what I'm going through? I imagine that he probably said, Jesus, I was here first. I was the first one in the line at the altar. I was the first one in the Holy Ghost car wash. I was the first one up here. I have a title. I have a a position in the church. I'm the one who declared that woman unclean. And God says, it's time to pick up and stop declaring people unclean and start declaring that they can be healed, that they can be set free. He said, I'm sure he said to himself, surely I am more important than that dirty woman. Surely that you can heal me, my daughter. But see, remember, this woman had been bleeding for 12 years. This woman was cursed. He said, I'm the keeper of the temple. I stood outside her home every week and announced her unclean. He was the religious ruler and gave up on others who needed God's healing. And he was desperate for his daughter to be healed. So I believe that in this scripture, when our patients get tested, God was trying to say to him, you want to know about faith? You want to know what true faith is? True faith is for 12 years, this woman has not stopped believing. For 12 years, she has crawled and she has got on her face where the tears ran out from under the door as she heard the words every day, unclean, unclean. She stood up and said, I rebuke that. I declare my healing. I declare my freedom. That's what true faith is. See, look what happens when this unclean woman who was being healed, this nuisance, this hindrance, this interruption to his miracle. Didn't Jesus know that his daughter was dying? While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? How many of you have heard that statement said, your son's too far gone. Give up on him. Your marriage is over. Just walk out. Don't try anymore. Just walk out. It's over. It's done. But first, let's talk about a few things because, see, it's time for us to realize that it ain't over, that God's not done with us. First Corinthians 1 says, 1, 7 through 9 says, just think you don't need a thing. You got it all. All God's gifts are right in front of you as you wait expectantly for our master Jesus to arrive on the scene for the great finale. And not only that, but God himself is right alongside to keep you steady and on track until things are all wrapped up by Jesus. God who got you started in the spiritual adventure shares with us the life of his son and our master. Never forget that he will never give up on you. See, it's really not about those who start the race, but those who finish it. It's really not about the ones who start in a race or how fast you run or what kind of shoes you have or if you've got the right kind of technique or how fast or how slow. It doesn't matter what place you come in in the race. It's just that you finish the finish line, that you make it to the end. Those who refuse to quit, who realize that it's not over, who kept the faith regardless of the battle. 
It's just like the Shunammite woman who believe, who refused to believe that her son was dead. Even though he was dead, she rode to the man of God's house and declared, my son will live again. And God rose him from the dead. It's believing those things that are not, seeing those things that are not as though they were, seeing in the spirit what God sees. See, many of life's failures are people who didn't realize how close they were to success when they gave up. That's what a success is, or that's what people that give up, they don't realize that right around the corner, you go through a trial, you go through some kind of tragedy, and you get off on the same old exit every time, and God says, why don't you keep going? Why don't you keep going until I tell you to stop? See, don't tell me that God can't do miracles. Don't tell my husband, Pat Schatzlein, that he can't go in and start remnant conferences and change culture, change the world, change the culture back to believing that God is who God says he is, that he's not changed. Don't tell me that we, I can't get my family and take them on an airplane 12 years ago and go to a distant land in China to bring back my daughter to make our home complete. Don't tell me that God doesn't do miracles today. Don't tell me that he stopped doing miracles. See, God is able to do exceedingly above and beyond all that we ask or we could imagine. God is so able and willing. So you see, history is full of people who wouldn't quit, who thought it was over, and the greatest of those is Jesus. He didn't quit on you. Hebrews 12, 1 says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, the cross, the shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. You want to talk about, I love the Bible. The Bible is full of everything you need to shoot that adrenaline through your soul, to shoot that. Who needs caffeine when you have the Word of God? Who needs an energy drink when every morning I get up and Jesus says, wake up. We've got an adventure today. We've got a journey that we need to go on. But you must ignore the noise around you. Let's get back to the story because Mark 5.36 says, Ignoring what they said, they said she was dead. He told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid just believe. He said, don't be afraid. Don't listen to everybody else. Don't listen to what everybody else is telling you. Listen to what my word says. Listen to what I say about it. And I say, she's not dead. Get your faith back. You're following the master. Your miracle wasn't ignored. It may have been delayed, but it's on its way. Your miracle is waiting for you. Realize who God is. Has he become your mascot in your everyday life? Or is he the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one that is in control of everything? It may be time for your miracle, but it may be it just wasn't your turn. See, God says, I believe, or I believe that Jairus had his faith activated by seeing this woman healed. I believe that Jairus had his faith turned on. A light came on in his head. It wasn't just about the healing anymore. It wasn't just about his position or his job. It wasn't just about 
about fulfilling a duty anymore. His eyes were open to the one true living God who held the universe in his hands, who was in control of everything. Change the atmosphere of your house. Get away from the naysayers. Change how you respond to God's presence. Mark 5, 37 says he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. The brother of James, when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing about the little girl being dead. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion? She's not dead, but just asleep. But they laughed at him and then he put them out. See, I love that. You know that you are on the verge of a miracle when everyone around you is laughing at your level of faith. You know that God is going to do something big. And you see, there are times in your life, you've got people in your life who keep you down, who keep you bogged down with so much negativity, with so much doubt, with so much fear. It's time for you to say, you know what? I love you, but it's time for me to go a little bit further. I love you, but it's time for me to walk up a little bit higher. You know what? This mountain, there may not be room enough for both of you and me, but you can come if you want, but if you don't, I'm going anyway way. See, there's time where you have to put the naysayers out. Everybody said she was dead, but Jesus said she was just sleeping. They laughed at him. You see, but God says, start declaring life. Start declaring freedom. Yeah, everybody saw your child out at the bar the other night, but God says, why don't you start declaring he's going to be saved. She's going to be saved. She's going to get her life turned around. I know because God has promised that my children will come to know him, and I am not going to go until I know that I know that I know that they are serving the Lord, the God. See, it's time to declare it. Proverbs 18.21 says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Mark 5.41 says, he took her by the hand. And he said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, stand up. Get up. You're not dead. You're just sleeping. See, God says, there's things in your life that you thought were dead. There's things in your life. There's dreams in your life that you thought were dead that are long gone. Said, so you remember that time that when you were 13 and you were at camp and you saw a vision of what God had in store for your life? You thought that was dead. It's not dead. It's just been put on the shelf. You need to dust it off. You need to get the dusting cloth out. And you need to say, that dream is alive and well. And I am going to walk in what God has for me. See, in other words, God says, it's time to declare. And at this, I love it because after he told her to get up, he said, immediately the girl stood up and walked around and she was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Why? Do we not believe that God's word is true? Do we not believe? I heard Pastor Paul say, there's going to be miracles in this place tonight. There's going to be healings. There's going to be people set free. Do you believe it? Or is it just another byword that we say when we come into church? Is it just another thing that we say, oh, somebody's going to get healed tonight. I hope somebody, I believe there's freedom in the place. No, there is freedom in the place tonight. There is healing for you. If you're battling sickness, if you're battling cancer, if you're battling anything, God says, do you really believe that I can heal you? Or is it just another thing that you say to make other people feel good? God says, I want to heal you. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about it. And he told them to give her something to eat. See, he said, give the miracle something to eat. Feed the miracle. In other words, he was saying, testify about what I'm doing for you. Testify about the goodness of the Lord. When you go out in public, testify about what God really does. Don't worry about offending other religions. Don't worry about offending or being politically correct. Tell them about my goodness. God says, I want to heal you. He didn't forget about you. 
He was working it all out for you, doing war in the heavenlies for you. It's not over. It's not over for you tonight. Everybody stand with me. See, God sees that some of you want to give up. Some of you want to just lay down. You're dangling between circumstance and destiny. You're dangling on the fence going, I want to believe, but I'm just tired. See, it's time to get on our knees and pray. It's time to really go into our prayer closet. Dust off that prayer closet. Walk into your prayer closet and say, God, I'm not leaving until I hear from you. I'm not leaving until I see your face. See, it's time to cry out for our marriages, our finances, our children, our homes. It's time to cry out for our nation. You want to see our nation turn back around to God? Then cry out to him. Don't leave it to the pastors. Don't leave it to the evangelists. Don't leave it to the, all the spiritual rulers in our nation. It's time that America gets back on their faces and cries out for a revival. That is what's going to change. See, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. It's my heart's cry. It says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It does not change God. It changes me. You see, that's where God is calling us to tonight, to a place where we change. He doesn't need to change. God doesn't need to do a new work in America. God doesn't need to to move in a new way. You know what he needs? He needs for us to wake up. He needs for us to get down just like that woman and crawl through the crowd to say, I don't care if I get a little dirty. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to push through the crowd. You see, it's going to be worth it when you get there. Don't quit halfway through. Don't leave during intermission. Don't leave before the grand finale. See, only the remnant will get down on their knees and crawl through the crowd to get to him, willing to crawl through all the trenches, willing to crawl through the mud, willing to crawl through all the different things. Only the remnant is willing to fight. Only the remnant is willing to get out there and to push through, to push through the crowd, to push through the culture, to push through their pain, to push through their anger, to push through their disappointment and their discouragement, to push through the normal, to push through church as usual to push through just another conference. See, to push through on their knees as the sleeping religious church stands by watching. See, it's time for even in the body of Christ for the remnant to rise. It's time for us to rise up. Only the remnant pushes through lethargy to reach a spirit awakening. See, I love this because This woman heard that Jesus was coming by. That's all it took. She heard that Jesus was coming by, and her response was to crawl to his presence. How many of you are willing to push through what you're facing tonight? How many of you are willing to push through the pain, push through the anger, push through the, all the disappointments, push through what's been done to you? It's time to stop living in the past. It's time to stop holding everyone around you hostage to the pain of everything that's happened to you. 
It's time to walk in freedom. It's time to push through. If you're willing to push through, let me see you just push your way through. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if you're willing to change, if you're willing to get on your faces and cry out and say, God, I need you to change me. I need you to set me free. I need you to help me so that I can help others. If you're willing to change. She said, if only I can touch him. See, she understood. She understood that underneath his robe, there was a prayer shawl. And at the end of that prayer shawl was the tallit. It was the, that was his prayer shawl. That was his prayer life. Yes, and so she knew that if she could get to that, that she, if she could just touch him, if she could just touch his prayer life, if she could just get in his presence. See, she wasn't really about touching his clothes. It had nothing to do with his clothes. She said, if I can just get in the presence of God, I'll be made whole. If I can just get in his presence, I'll be made clean. If I can just get in his presence, everything will be washed away. If I can just get in his anointing, if I can just have him just look at me, then I'll be made whole. See, what she was really saying is, I've suffered way too long. And all I really want is to know him. All I really want, see, it wasn't, she had suffered for 12 years. She could have suffered 12 more. But what she wanted was to be made whole. What she wanted was to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What she wanted was to show all the other people that there really is a real loving God who cares. It's time to push through tonight. It's time to push through until we have a breakthrough in the spirit. It's time to push through not just our simple little prayers, not just our little our little prayers that we say before bedtime, the same little ritual over and over. It's time to cry out. It's time to know him. You want to know him, spend time with him. You want to hear him, listen for him. Listen for him instead of going to him with all your complaints, with all your whining, with all your griping, with all your murmuring. Say, Jesus, speak to me. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you in the reality of who you are. I don't want to know a fantasy. I don't want to know a fairy tale. I had to tell my daughter the other day in our devotions because everyone makes God out to be just a fairy tale, that he's just some fictional or some just fairy tale person that used to believe in. He's not Santa Claus. He's not the Easter Bunny. He's not the tooth fairy. He's real, living, breathing, and he still walks among us today. He still changes our lives. He still transforms us. He still can walk into a hospital and say, it's not over. He can still walk into a marriage and say, it's not over. He can still walk into your child's bedroom and have them turn off the computer and say, it's not over. He can wipe your mind clean of the garbage. He's a God that still transforms. He's still a God that can heal. If you need healing in here today, raise your hand. If you're needing healing, raise your hand and look around. If there's someone near you that's got their hand raised, go pray with them because do you believe? But only if you believe. Everyone come down right now. 
If you are hungry, if you're thirsty, and if you're here on a Saturday night for this conference, for this movement, you are hungry for more of God. God says, I am ready to do a new thing in your life, not a new thing in Him. He says, I'm ready to awaken you to the visions that I have for you. I'm ready to awaken you to what I have for this city, that this city is going to have flames coming up from it, but not out of judgment, but out of a fire and the glory of God. He says, I want to do something in this house, in this body, that is going to stretch out, and it's going to reach every corner of this city, every corner of this state, and it's going to catch a flame that we sweeps across this nation. And people are going to stand in awe as they watch it burn. And they're going to stand in awe of a mighty God. You see terrorists, you see ISIS and all of that wreaking havoc, wreaking terror. Well, let me tell you something about the terror of the Holy One who can say, I can stop it all and I can set my people free. God says, I want to heal you. begin to cry out to him don't give up this is where we always stop this is where we always give in this is where we say this is enough but God says it's not enough it's not enough to just cry out he says I want to see you transformed you see Jesus Jesus is walking by Can you feel him walking by tonight? Jesus is walking by. See, I don't imagine that that woman just sat there and go, Jesus is walking by. I imagine that woman said, Jesus is walking by. I've got to get to him. Jesus is walking by. If you're in this place tonight and you've not cried out, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know him in that entirety, if you don't know him as the Lord and Savior of our life, the one who can heal, the one who can set you free, the one who can take away all the pain, all the distress, all the anxiety, the one that can heal your mind, if you don't know him, raise your hand right now. Raise your hand if you're searching and you want to know him. I want everyone in this place to to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, Forgive me. Forgive me for not believing. Forgive me for not having faith. Forgive me for not standing up with boldness and with power. Come into my heart. Set me free. Break off the chains of bondage that have held me captive for too long. Help me to break out and to stand true to who you are. I won't bow. I won't back up. I won't turn back. I'm running this race to the finish line. Yell, it ain't over. It ain't over. Lord, we praise you. 
Lord, we praise you. If you want more of God, as we begin to cry out, as we begin to press in, I want you just to cry out, call on his name. Say, Jesus, come walking by. Jesus, come walking by me. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Thank you, Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. I believe that there's people in here who need to see their faith in action, that they need to see you. Do you know what? There have been things in my life that I thought I was going to die. I've walked through some things that I wanted to die at times. I've walked through some hard times, but there was always that time. There was a point in my life where I was sinking in depression and discouragement and despair. And I was in a car one day in my garage and God looked at me and he spoke to my heart and he said, Karen, if you were in a ship and you were drowning, what would keep you alive? And I said, God, I don't want to live right now. I don't want to go get up anymore. I don't want to go on. And God said, what would keep you alive and I said if Nate my son we didn't have Abby at that time I said if Nate was on that ship I'd stay alive to keep him alive and he said well finally you're starting to get it because in those moments in your despair rescue someone else and he said in those moments of despair look beyond yourself because there are people who need to see you live there are people who need to see you survive when you survive you give other people permission to get up and to walk forward and to survive. If you are physically able, get on your knees right now and begin to crawl to the Father because it's in that desperation. It's in that moment where you say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. This isn't about me and my personality. This isn't about me and my, my ability to see anything. This isn't about me and my, my reputation. This is about saying I surrender all. I surrender all. Now as you're on your knees, stretch out your arms to heaven. Stretch out your hand to heaven and say, Jesus, it ain't over. I surrender all. Grab, grab the hem of his garment right now. As you're down on your knees as a symbol, just reach out your right hand. Just reach out that hand right now and act as if you're grabbing. Just grab hold of something in the air and say, Jesus, I'm grabbing a hold of your prayer life. I'm grabbing a hold of your anointing. I'm grabbing a hold of that healing. Reach out. Don't give up. I imagine that woman wanted to give up as she was crawling through the crowd and her knees began to bleed and her eyes began to grow weary. I imagine that she wanted to faint because she was so weary from the loss of blood and the crowd was kicking her and pushing her aside and pushing her over, but that didn't stop her. She pressed through. Reach out and grab it. Grab the hem of his garment. How hungry are you? How desperate are you for a miracle? How desperate Desperate are you to know the King of Kings? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Don't start crying out to him. Don't let other people dictate your miracle. Lord, we just praise you. 
leaders, if you're in this place and you're not on your faces, begin to walk through and just begin to pray over everyone. Lord, I declare freedom. I declare that it's not over, that God is not done with you, that he's not done with your family, that he's not done with your children, that he's not done with you, that life may seem to have taken a toll. Life may seem to have taken a twist in the, in the plot of your life, but God says it's not over. It's not over. You wanted to quit. You wanted to give up. But God says, look up and see that there is an army marching on your behalf. That there is a mighty army marching on your behalf. It's not over. I've not given up on you. I've not given up. I've heard every tear. I've heard every prayer. And I have been doing more on your behalf.